The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Um, you know, if, if uh, you're single, you look at a married couple, you think, if I could just be married, then I would be happy. Some of you who are married look at single people and think, oh, if I could just be single, then I would be happy. Or if you look at somebody else's spouse and you think, oh, if my, my spouse were just like that spouse, then I would be happy, right? Um, you look around people who seem to be much more successful than you are and you think, oh, if only I could be successful in my ventures like they are, then I would be happy, right? Um, If only I was as as funded and well-supported and wealthy as they are, then I would be happy instead of struggling along, right? Uh, Maybe if you're a student, you uh, feel like, you know, if I was only as good-looking as so-and-so, if I only was as good an athlete as so-and-so, if I only had good grades like my friend, then I would be happy, right? And uh, if only only I was as as popular as so-and-so. And we all imagine that, that what they have is true happiness. If we could just have what they've got, it would make us happy. Uh, the story today is about Leah and Rachel, and it's a classic example of two people who are convinced that what the other person has is going to make them happy. And the ironic thing with Rachel and Leah is that each of them already has what the other one wants, and each of them wants what the other person has. And uh, neither one of them are happy. Right? So we're going to read through uh, from chapter 29, verse 31 through 34, um, and see if you can pick up on it as we read through it. Their inherent sense of longing for greener grass. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to have children, but Rachel could not conceive. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. For she said, The Lord has noticed my misery, and now my husband will love me. She soon became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She named him Simeon, for she said, The Lord heard that I was unloved and has given me another son. Then she became pregnant a third time and gave birth to yet another son. And she named him Levi, for she said, Surely this time my husband will feel affection for me since I have given him three sons. Once again, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to another son. She named him Judah, for she said, Now I will praise the Lord. And then she stopped having children. When Rachel saw that she wasn't having any children for Jacob, she became jealous of her sister. She pleaded with Jacob, Give me children or I'll die. Then Jacob became furious with Rachel. Am I God? he asked. He's the one who has kept you from having children. Then Rachel told him, Take my maid Billa and sleep with her. She will bear children for me, and through her I can have a family too. So Rachel gave her servant Billa to Jacob as a wife, and he slept with her. Billa became pregnant and presented him with a son. Rachel named him Dan, for she said, God has vindicated me. He has heard my request and given me a son. Then Billah became pregnant again and gave Jacob a second son. Rachel named him Naphtali, for she said, I have struggled hard with my sister, and I'm winning. (laughs) Wow. 
Meanwhile, Leah, falling behind in the race, apparently, realized that she wasn't getting pregnant anymore. So she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Soon Zilpah presented him with a son. Leah named him Gad, for she said, How fortunate I am. Then Zilpah gave Jacob a second son. And Leah named him Asher, for she said, What joy is mine. Now other women will be happier, will celebrate with me. One day during the wheat harvest, Reuben found some mandrakes growing in a field and brought them to his mother Leah. Rachel begged Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But Leah angrily replied, Wasn't it enough that you stole my husband? Now you will steal my mandrakes too? Rachel answered, I will let you sleep, uh, I will let Jacob sleep with you tonight if you give me some of the mandrakes. So that evening, as Jacob was coming home from the fields, Leah went out to meet him. You must come and sleep with me tonight, she said. I have paid for you with some mandrakes that my son found. There's so many good biblical principles here. <laughs> Love this. So that night he slept with Leah. And God answered Leah's prayer. She became pregnant again and gave birth to a fifth son for Jacob. She named him Issachar, for she said, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my, uh, my, servant to my husband as a wife. Incredible theology. Then Leah became pregnant again and gave birth to a sixth son for Jacob. She named him Zebulun, for she said, God has given me a good reward. Now my husband will treat me with respect, for I have given him six sons. Later she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel's plight and answered her prayers by enabling her to have children. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. God has removed my disgrace, she said, and she named him Joseph. For she said, may the Lord add yet another son to my family. Uh, interesting story. Uh, and just a, just a disclaimer up front, okay? Uh, when, you, when, you, when you read through Genesis, it's really important to keep the, the backdrop, the context and perspective of what Genesis is. Genesis is the book of beginnings, right? It's the book of God calling out a people for himself. And as such, we don't really look to the patriarchs and their families as role models for life, okay? It's important to note that, right? Uh, there's a lot about their life and character that's less than desirable, right? Uh, but they really are for us examples or illustrations. And you've got to remember that, you know, for Jacob, for Abraham, Isaac, for Rachel and Leah, they, they had no scripture. They had no pastors. They had no church leaders or elders to teach them. There was no prophets. Uh, they were kind of flying blind through life, uh, trying to do what they understood to be right and good. And a lot of times their, their lives are quite... Uh, far from what we would consider to be God's moral absolutes or ideals. Uh, but they are an example for us in that we see how biblical principles either work in their lives or in some cases don't work in their lives. How uh, them not following inherently given God principles either work or don't work. Uh, there's, there's both in this story, as in with all stories throughout Genesis, uh, there's ways in which they get things right, and there's ways in which they don't get things so right. Um, but they are uh, a picture of God's patience as he moves people along from ground zero. He starts where they are, 
And he slowly teaches them and leads them to be, throughout their lifetimes, people of faith. And through many generations, a people who truly reflect God's character and understand his laws. So that's kind of the disclaimer, okay? So there's a lot in this passage that we, we're not going to hold up as an example, uh, a model for life and behavior. I, I would not, women, you know, wives, I would not suggest giving your servant to your husband to have children by them. It's just a bad idea on many levels, okay? Um, but there's a lot of important things here, and, and the lesson, the principle that we see is this principle of searching for greener grass. This idea that... Uh, you know, that happiness is out there to be found. And there's something innately in us that human beings everywhere long to be happy. It's universal. It crosses all cultures and languages and ages. Everybody wants to be happy. You know, I, I don't know of anybody who's contentedly depressed, right? Who's miserable in life and really quite satisfied. And if they are satisfied being depressed, it means that they're happy, which means they've found what they're looking for, Right? I know people like that, actually. Um, we pursue happiness. It really is the thing that at the core of us drives who we are. We want to be contented and satisfied in life. Uh, and we see that unfold in a very unique way here in the story of Rachel and Leah. And we want to start, first of all, with the story from the side of Leah. And Leah is, uh, is not loved. And she, the greener grass that she is looking for is the greener grass of relationships. Okay, the greener grass of, of, uh, of people, of being loved, right? And specifically in this case, in her situation, it's the love of her husband. That's where she thinks will make her happy. Uh, but I think we could broaden it out really to a broader principle of, of thinking that people can make us happy, that if we could be loved by people, whether it's through a marriage relationship or from a parent, from a good friend, from friends around us, from coworkers, that if we can get people to love us and approve us, that that will fuel us and give us happiness and contentment, right? And that was what Leah was thinking. And we, we know that, we get the idea of that uh, through the names of her children. Um, and, uh, you know, our names, when we name our children... It can tell a lot about where we are in, in, in life, you know, kind of where we are. Uh, my own life is a good example or illustration of that. When my first child, Kashara, was born, uh, her, her name is a Hebrew word that means like a song. Beautiful, it's a beautiful name, one of the most beautiful names ever. And beautiful meaning, it fits Kashara very well. But what it really tells you about me is that she was born the day before my Hebrew final which due to her birth, I actually failed, right? So my Hebrew is not so good. Uh, it kind of tells you where I was at that point in life, though. So poor Kishar is cursed with this name, this Hebrew name that nobody can pronounce. Uh, fast forward for a few years, and we have our fourth daughter, Kalise Ariel. We were at a different place in life. Her name is not Hebrew. Well, actually, her middle name is Hebrew, but... A uh, different story because we were in a different place. But this time, Cleese had three sisters, and Denise and I gave her her first name. But we decided it would be fun to hand over the naming of her middle name to her sisters. Well, guess what Disney movie was was full on the year Cleese Ariel was born? That's right, The Little Mermaid, right? So even though Ariel is actually a Hebrew word and is found in Scripture, that's not where it comes from. It comes from The Little Mermaid, right? So 
na- names do tell us, you know, how we name our kids does kind of say something about where we are. And it's interesting, as you look through uh, Leah's naming of her children, it paints this beautiful roadmap of her journey of where she's at over the period of about eight years. As she has six, well, she has herself seven children, uh, plus two that she has through her maid. Um, and uh, so if you, look at her, if you look at the names of her children, it tells something of her journey. And significantly and most poignantly are the first three. Okay, get the first three names. First of all, she has Reuben. Reuben literally means, look, a son, right? And it's really an answer to uh, the first verse where it says, the Lord saw that Leah was unloved and enabled her to have children. And so the, the text picks up on that word saw or looked, and she names him uh, Reuben, Ben is the word, Hebrew word son, Reuben. Look, a son, right? And her, her um, explanation of the name is this. The Lord has seen my misery, and now my husband will love me. Okay, what's her misery? What is it that she is suffering through? Well, she's suffering through a marriage in which she is not loved, right? Where she is not receiving love and affection from her husband. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, and, and, and so she names her son. So forever, her son is, now look at me, I'm born because my mom's not loved. Yeah, that's, that's Reuben. Uh, and she has another son, and his name is Simeon. Simeon actually is a form of the word Shema, which means to hear, right? And this time it says, because the Lord has heard that I'm unloved. Okay, same theme, just a different verb, verb, right? First God sees it, now he hears it. Everybody's talking about it. Poor Leah. And her husband just does not love her, right? Even God knows. Uh, so he's heard that I'm unloved, and he's given me this son, right? right? Third, third child comes along, Levi. Uh, this one is the most painful of all. Levi means joined to or attached or connected, right? And, and her commentary is this. Now this time, uh, surely this time, surely, surely this time, my husband will feel affection for me, will be connected to me, right? Since I've given him three sons, right? Okay, do you get where she's at? Okay, here's a woman who is in a very unhappy marriage, uh, a very unloved person. In fact, God says that he sees how she is unloved. Uh, in fact, the verse before that, the end of the preceding story ends this way. So Jacob slept with Rachel too, and he loved her much more than Leah. Right? So, so here's Leah, ends up by whatever schemes and plots between her. We don't know how much she's involved in this, her father, whatever, but we know the story that her father tricked Jacob, switched wives uh, uh, last minute, Jacob ends up with Leah when he thinks he's getting Rachel. Uh, he, he does not love Leah. He, his heart is, he's given his heart to Rachel. Uh, he ends up, after a week, marrying Rachel as well. And he loves Rachel. He does not love Leah. <clears throat> Some translations use the word hated. And the, the literal word in the Hebrew is the word hated. Um, it, it, it's a bit strong, and it's probably better that they translate it that uh, he loved, that she was just unloved. And it wasn't that, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rescue Jacob, all right? Because a lot of people think this, Jacob's just a jerk, right? Why doesn't he, why doesn't he love Leah? Well, 
There's reasons why he doesn't. And they're not reasons he's responsible for. The reason Jacob does not love Leah is because God didn't design it that way. God designed marriage, and, and it's talking here about the kind of love that's in a marriage. He's talking about marriage love. He's talking about husband-wife love. And God created us in a way that husband-wife husband life, husband life, love is exchanged between just two people. Uh, the principle here is that a person can only give their heart to one other person with this kind of love. That doesn't mean Jacob didn't love her as a person. Well, he loved her as a person. He just didn't love her as a wife. Right? He didn't love her with a romantic husband-wife kind of love. Uh, scripture says that two can become one. Right? Three can't. Okay, three can't. Okay, God designed and wired us this way. And really, it's not Jacob's fault that he had already given his heart for seven years before marriage. He'd given his heart to Rachel, right? And you just don't undo that. It's not a, a flip, a switch that you can flip. Right? It's not a matter of choice that he could just all of a sudden will to re-give his heart to another person. He'd already given it to Rachel. That's the way God made us. And why, while uh, it doesn't really talk about it, this passage is a great example of why we should only have one wife, right? Why having multiple wives is a problem. And uh, I'm, I'm sure if you get to heaven, you ask Jacob, how'd the whole multiple wife thing go? I'm sure he will be, I'm sure he's written many books on this subject, actually. When you get to heaven, you go to the bookstore, it's going to be their bestseller. Why you should only marry one wife, right? Because uh, it was agonizing for him. Uh, so, here's, so here's Leah. Uh, she's in a marriage that is hopeless, okay? She doesn't know it yet, but the reality is he will never love her like she wants, right? The love that she's desiring from him, he's already given to somebody else. And, and never can he give that to her, right? He can love her as a person. Uh, he can fulfill his duties as a husband to her physically, which he does. But what she longs for, the closest and heart-to-heart connection of two souls united together in one, she can never have. Right? She is in a hopeless marriage. Um, and uh, she has three children, and uh, she thinks that uh, in order to... Th- 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 this is what she thinks, okay? She doesn't know that there's no hope for her. And so what she thinks is... You know, if I can just perform good enough, if I can be successful, if I can be the kind of wife that, that Jacob wants, then he'll love me. In other words, she has this crazy notion that she can earn love, right? Earn love. Uh, if only I can be what he wants. And so with each child, she has this fantasy that now Jacob will love her because what? Because she's performing well. Because she's doing what is expected of a good wife. Because she's being what she thinks the perfect wife should be. And if she's the perfect wife, then surely Jacob will begin loving her. So she gets up to bat, swings once, child number one. Now he's going to love me. Uh, Comes the child number two. Apparently, it's not working, right? Because she names him, look, I'm still not loved. Swings again, another strike. Comes a child number three, what does she name him? Surely this time, my husband will be connected to me. Because I've borne him three sons, right? 
It doesn't work. Um, and the problem is that true love, true love can never be earned because uh, it, it's contrary to the very nature of what love is, right? Love that can be earned, love that could be bought, is not true love because true love is given freely and unconditionally, right? True love is what, true love has more to do with the one giving than the one receiving. And true love comes from a heart who loves unconditionally because we value the person, because they are. Okay? Not because of what they can do or who they are, but just that they are. Right? A great illustration of this is when we, have, when we have our own children. I mean, we as parents experience this. When out comes this little bundle of pink, not-so-attractive stuff, actually, and, and I don't know how God gives mothers all, you know, this blindness that they actually think these little things are cute. The rest of us all know better, you know. We all look at them and we go, <laughs> But, you know, they just, they, a parent loves these little children, right? Can they do anything besides scream and make messy diapers? No, right? doesn't matter. Are they anything? We don't know what they're going to be. We don't know what they're going to be. It doesn't matter. We just love them because they are, because they're our children. That's all they have to be. And we love them. That's what true love is. And to, to in any way try to earn or try to be something to deserve love just diminishes what love is. Right? It diminishes what love is. Uh, if, if by some chance Jacob started to love Leah because she was, you know, a baby machine... <laughs> Right? Would, she, would he really be loving her? Or is it a selfish love that simply loves what she does? Right? See, that's not love. That's not love. Um, true love has everything to do with the giver. Right? Nothing to do with the recipient. Uh, this is a great picture, and Leah really is a great picture of where I find, where I find myself often, where I think a lot of Christians find themselves. Feeling like they're the unloved wife, the wicked stepchild, you know, Cinderella, who think if they're a good enough Christian, God will love them, right? That somehow we can perform well enough that one day God will look at us and go, well, finally, you know, now I can actually like you. Before, though, you were miserable, right? And we think that God's love is based on how we live life. Okay, we don't understand that God's not like that and love is not like that. That the fact is... God's love is based on His own loving character. And He loves us simply because we are. Right? It is His gift to us. And there's absolutely nothing we can do to change or alter God's love for us. Right? Nothing. You can't mess it up by doing bad things. You can't improve it by doing good things. God's love is what it is. It is unalterable and unchanging because it's based on it's based purely on 100% on his character, not on us. Right? He chooses to value us because we are and because he makes us his children and he lavishes his love on us. Um, and yet how much of Christianity can get turned into performance, right? into trying to earn God's love. Right? Well, her journey continues on with, with having children. We're going to, we'll come back to Rachel in a minute, but I want to kind of look through uh, Leah's life. 
And let me just kind of summarize the rest of her children's names. Because as, as, as she moves through life, uh, the names begin to change, and we see really a change in her heart and her life. Get this, notice this. Um, and, and something happens after child number three. And I think what happens is this. Reality dawns on her. You know, after three kids, she struck out, and she's realized, I can't earn his love. Right? I could have 100 children. It's not going to matter. He's not going to love me because I have kids. All right? uh, and she starts putting the pieces together, and she starts reevaluating uh, the greener grass. Right? She wants greener grass, but she realizes that this pasture is not going to do it. Right? The grass in that pasture is just unavailable to her. But notice what she does. Uh, along comes child number... Four, five, four, I don't know. I lost count. The next one. Uh, and she names him Judah. Judah means be praised. Be praised, right? Uh, now, things have not changed for her. You've got to understand, things have not changed for her. In fact, later on, after Ju- Judah's born, there's the whole thing with the mandrakes. She's still bitter toward her sister, right? She's still very angry and disappointed by what she is not getting out of this relationship. Things have not changed. But... Things are changing with her attitude and her perspective. She names Judah praise, and she says, This time, I love this, this time I will praise the Lord. Wow. Right? Uh, she begins to change her focus. And instead of looking across the fence at what she does not have, she begins to look to what she has and what God has given her and giving him praise for it. She's starting to acknowledge that, you know, I may not have the love from my husband, but God has blessed me. And I choose, so instead of focusing on what I do not have, I choose to focus on God's goodness in my life, and I'm going to praise him. So she names him Judah. Uh, she begins to be thankful. Now, this is really important. If you want to be happy, okay, uh, this is one of the keys to happiness. You, if you're not happy, here's, here's step number one. Start being thankful for what God has given you. Right? The reality is God loves you. And He is giving you good things. And a lot of, of our problem is that when we spend so much time looking at what we don't have and looking at people around us and foci- focusing on others, we fail to see God's goodness in our own life. When we start being consciously and deliberately thankful, we start to focus on God and His goodness in our life. And we start to see how truly blessed we are. She has another child. Well, she has two children through, uh, through her servant Zilpah. Uh, again, not great theology here, okay? She names uh, Zilpah child number one, Gad, which means good fortune. And she says, uh, her words are, good fortune has come. Okay, again, she's not focusing on what she doesn't have. She's focusing on God's goodness to her. Then along comes uh, Asher. Uh, and His name literally means happy or blessed. And notice what she says. I love this. She says, happy am I, uh, for women have called me happy, or people, women have celebrated with me. Uh, she has found her greener grass, right? She's found true happiness. And she's found it, not from people, but she has now shifted her focus to God and realized that He is the ultimate source of joy and happiness in her life. 
And she says, you know, I'm a happy person. Uh, I have found my greener pastures. And they lie in God's goodness to me. Uh, she goes on. She has another child, uh, Issachar, which means reward. She said, God has rewarded me. And, and here's, here's the bad theology. God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband as a wife. I'm not, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure about that, actually. Um, her perspective, though, is God's, God's goodness. See, she's chose to focus on God's blessing and goodness in her life. That God, in spite of all the craziness, God's rewarding her. God is being good and kind and compassionate. Finally, last son is born. Uh, Zebulun, it means just gift. So God has given me a good reward. Now my husband will treat me with respect, for I've given him six sons. Uh, you know, it's interesting. She, uh, she's given up on love. She knows that love's out of the question. But she knows that at least her husband can respect her. Right? She has come to a place of great contentment and peace in her life. And really, her life is quite full and content. Really, she has found happiness because she switched her perspective from uh, Rachel and looked to God. All right. Uh, second character in the story is Rachel. Uh, she is the much-loved one. Right? And you look at Rachel and you think, for her, she should just be, she should be happy. Right? Everything that Leah wanted, Rachel has. She has the full devotion and affection of her husband. Her husband dotes over her. Her husband worships her. Right? Everything that Leah was convinced would bring happiness, Rachel has. Right? She should be just gushing with happiness. But she's not either, actually. Uh, her problem is, even though she is much loved, she thinks happiness comes from circumstances, from getting what we want, right? And the reality is she's not getting what she wants. She wants a child and she's not getting it. People who think, uh, and, and this, this is a common misconception among us, among people, that we think our circumstances make us happy, right? Things and stuff make us happy. If I have the right house, if I have the right environment, if I have the right amount of money, if I have the things I need, if I have all the things I want, all these things will make me happy. Right? Um, people who, who think this way uh, tend to be rather controlling. Right? And, then, and here's why. Because if my happiness depends on my environment and on the things around me and things I get, I'm going to work hard to control my environment to make sure it makes me happy. All right, and this is Rachel to a T. Uh, I remember way, way back for a while I worked in a restaurant as a host. You know, the little guy with the, brings you your menus and seats you at your table. And, um, you know, I, I learned a whole new perspective on sweet little old ladies. Um, because these sweet little old ladies who had often come into the restaurant were anything but sweet, Right? They, and they come in with their little canes and their little smiles and their little, you know, blue hair, and they seem so nice, but they're just tyrants. You, know, you sit them down at a table, and they are tyrants. You know, oh, I can't sit here. The air's blowing on me, right? So you move them to another table. Oh, I can't sit here because the sun's shining on me. So after sitting at ten, every table in the restaurant, they finally find a place where they're happy. And then the water's too cold, and the soup is too hot, and the service is too slow, and nothing is right. And they seek all this with a vengeance, right? Nero is not as much a dictator as these ladies are, right? Why? 
because their happiness depends on everything in their world working right. If it doesn't work right, they're going to take control until everything is the way they want it. Right? And, and these kind of people drive people crazy. They don't have to be little ladies, actually. This can be of any age, right? any age, any perspective. Uh, we think we're going to be happy by our environment, so we work very hard to control our environment. And that's exactly what Rachel sets about. First of all, she can't have children, so what does she do? She attacks her husband. Give me children. This is your fault, right? She's going to control her husband. Okay, and he's going, he's smart enough to go. And, and, and you remember, him, he loves her. He'll do anything for her. But there are limits, right? There are limits. He's going, look, this is God's problem. You've got to talk to God about this. I can't make you have babies, right? Okay, I can, I can do my part. But there's limits, right? God's got to do the rest. Uh, she tries to control her husband. Uh, that doesn't work. So she decides to force having children through her servant, right? Takes up her grandma's tactics. Grandma Sarah tried this. It worked for her. I'll try it, right? And she forces having children through her servant, uh, which in a sense works. Uh, Billa has two children, and, and uh, there is some joy that comes with that. But you get to the end of the story, and you find out that it's not the joy she was looking for. Right? She has children through her servant, but they're not her children. Okay, there's joy in it, but not true happiness. Right? So she tries another tactic. Uh, Reuben comes home with mandrakes. Uh, they're not sure exactly what mandrakes are, um, but if it's mandrakes that the that, that Septuagint translates, uh, they're also called love apples. Uh, and, and the reason they're called love apples is they had two, the, the Greeks felt they had two powerful effects. One was as a, a love potion. So if you ate mandrakes, it would make people fall in love with you and be attracted to you. The second effect is that it had uh, the power, for, they believed it had the power of fertility. Uh, so, of course, Leah wants them uh, for their love potion effect. And she wants to take them so that, you know, Jacob will walk by and go, Whoa, wow, Leah, what are you doing tonight? Right? Uh, Rachel, on the other hand, wants them because she wants to use them to get pregnant. Right? So they have this exchange. Uh, you, you get some of uh, Leah's bitterness towards Rachel when she accuses her of stealing her husband. Um, and uh, Rachel keeps her cool and very diplomatically negotiates an exchange. And you're going to get a picture of how neglected Leah is. When she has to you know, give up the mandrakes to just get one night to sleep with uh, Jacob, right? Uh, she's, she's desperate for any kind of affection, and she is being quite neglected and overlooked in the relationship. Um, but on Rachel's side, she wants them because she wants to... Now she's, you know, she can't control her husband, didn't work so well controlling her servant. Now she's going to try to control nature, right? She's going to use the science and technology of the day to try to control nature, right? Uh, she eats the mandrakes. Uh, she lets Jacob sleep one night with Leah. Ironically, here's what happens. Here's the outcome of this. Uh, Leah, who had stopped having children, now starts up, gets, up, gets back up to bat and gets three more swings, three more boys, right? Uh, so while... Rachel eats the mandrakes. Leah has all the kids, three more, right? Rachel ends up waiting three more years. Still no babies. Still no babies. Uh, And the reality is, for people who think they can be happy through controlling their world, it doesn't work. Because the reality is, we're not God. 
we are not sovereign over our environment, right? And those who try to control their world, whether it's through manipulating people or plotting or scheming or through science and technology, in the end, you can't control everything. And what you do is you wear yourself out. You wear yourself out trying to be in control of everything, right? And just about the time you get everything, the universe lined up properly, and you get a day of happiness, whoosh, you know, it evaporates. It evaporates. And the next day, the universe falls apart. Right? Uh, it's interesting how modern man is pursuing controlling the world. You know, and I love it. You know, when every time there's a flood, there's an earthquake, there's a tsunami, people actually get ticked off that the government wasn't able to prevent this. Right? Because we, we, we want to be in control because our happiness depends on our world working the way we demand it to. But God is bigger than all that. And for many reasons, God does not yet give Rachel a child. right? Because he wants her to know the thing that Leah learned, that there's only one true source of happiness, and that is God alone. Right? So... The mandrakes don't work. Uh, nothing seems to work. And Rachel gets a three-year time out to think about it. And finally it says in verse 24, uh, verse 22 actually, uh, then God remembered Rachel's plight. And he, and I love this, he answered her prayers. Right? He answered her prayers by enabling her to have children. Then she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And she named him... And this is why we know that there wasn't happiness up to this point, you know. She finally says, now God has removed my disgrace. Right? Um, and she also said, may the Lord add yet another son to my family. Uh, Joseph is a word of hope, a, ho a word that looks to the future. It literally means to add, okay, to add. So she says, not only has God finally taken away my shame of being childless, but I have new hope in the future that not only is God giving me this, but he's going to give me another son. Right? But notice where her hope is now. Okay? It's in God. Okay? She's figured things out, and she is no longer pursuing happiness through controlling the universe, but rather yielding and seeking the one who's in control. And I love it. It says that she finally figured out, maybe I should pray. Right? And God answered her prayers. She finally stopped controlling and she gave it up into God's hands. She said, God, you are the one who's in control. I yield my life to you and I pray. And I, by faith, seek your help. Uh, it's important to see that uh, it's true that our happiness is connected with our needs. Right? Uh, a lot of us may feel we are not happy because our needs are not being met. Okay, when, when I do marriage counseling and there are issues, it always comes down, somebody's needs are not being met and so I'm unhappy in the relationship. Right? And there's a true connection there. To deny our needs is to make us not human anymore. Right? Both Rachel and Leah had real and legitimate, genuine needs in their relationship. And it's true that to some extent, happiness was a matter of those needs being fulfilled. The issue though is not whether or not our needs are met. The, ne the real issue is, who are we looking to to meet the needs in our life? Are we looking to people? Are we looking to circumstances? Or are we looking to God? Right? 
Uh, God longs to be the ultimate source of everything in our life. God longs to be the channel uh, and the means by which every need in our life is met. That doesn't mean he doesn't meet it through other things, through other people, through circumstances. But he longs to be the source of it. I love how Jesus describes himself. He calls himself living water, which will bubble up into us into an ever-flowing spring of eternal life. Jesus calls himself the bread of life, right? Psalms 23 is a picture of uh, God's green pastures. And finally, you know, we, we need to know that we are loved by God and we have found his green pastures. That's the source of happiness, right? The problem is not that we seek for greener grass. We need to be seeking for greener grass because, quite frankly, probably where we live, it's not that green, right? Because we can't produce happiness in ourselves. We need to be seeking greener grass. But the true greener grass is God's pastures, right? Uh, I love it. This pastor starts off with, with saying, God saw that Leah was unloved. It ends with God remembering uh, the plight of Rachel. You know, God sees you. He sees everything about your life. God knows your needs better than you do. And he's interested in it. He's concerned about it. Right? He longs to meet your needs and my needs because that's his nature to love us. But he has to do it in his way and in his time. He has to do it in a way that draws us to himself and doesn't leave us as spoiled children. Rachel had a lot to learn, and he could not give her a child until she came to that place in her life where she understood what the true source of her happiness would be. And God does that in our life as well. Right? Um, he, he remembers the hurting. He knows what we struggle with. And he loves his bride. And I think it's good to end on this point, that uh, Ephesians 5 tells us that that marriage is a, is a model or a picture of Christ's love for the church, which is his bride. We are not a second-class wife to, to God, right? That, you know, he kind of has to, he's obligated to be nice to, that he's obligated to perform certain duties for, but there's no heart connection. No, he says, this is my bride. You are my beloved bride. You are the one I have given my heart to completely, right? God has given his heart completely to us as his bride because he loves us. Uh, do, we, do we believe that? Right? Do we live in, in that green pasture? Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.